Praise God. We are going to go to the word of the Lord here this morning and um, going back to 1 Peter chapter 2 and then 1 Corinthians chapter 6, two verses of scripture we've been using as our text. And um, I've got a lot of ground to cover. I really, really intended for this to just be one lesson out of uh, many, I have explained that I felt led, that we were talking about when we could start a newcomer's uh, class, and um, our schedule is so hectic, and I just, I just really felt like it would be good to take our Sunday mornings and just go through it with everybody, newcomers, old-timers. middle-agers and whatever else. Um, I don't know if middle-ager would be a good term or not because that makes me think of the Middle Ages. That's going all the way back to the... Yeah. I, so I didn't mean it that way. Um, but then when I say mid-lifers, then it sounds like you're in a crisis. So I, I don't know what's the right term, but you know who you are and we're glad you're here. Praise God. And uh, the lesson's for you too. Amen. I do have a lot of ground to cover this morning, and I, in case I forget, I don't like to do a lot of announcements before we get into the Word. I, While the Spirit of the Lord is lingering, I like to just get right into the lesson, but I do need to, just in case I forget, I just need to kind of offer a word of clarification. My wife and I have a flight to catch this afternoon. We're going to have to rush out of here, so if I, if I leave out of here and run and don't speak to you, please don't be offended. Um, I'm not trying to ignore you because I don't want to speak to you. It's just um, the plane will not wait on me. I, I'm not nearly that important. And so just, um, just understand uh, that's the way it is. And uh, a lot of things that I'd, I'd like to talk about. Maybe I'll finish up early enough this morning that... I can make some announcements and really want to spend a few minutes talking to you about the trip to Israel next year and, and um, talk to you a little bit about that, offer some explanations there. I don't know if I'll get time today or not, but we'll see what happens. I am hoping and wanting to try to finish what was supposed to just be lesson one. And this is part four of lesson one. And if that's any indication, it's going to take us a long time to get through all the lessons that uh, I have prepared for you. But I do not offer an apology. I do feel like these lessons, though basic they may be, are extremely important. And uh, I do want to thank you. I've heard from many of you who have come to me and let me know how much these lessons have been blessing you, and I, I really appreciate that, because I really was a little concerned about going back to such basic principles and uh, trying to teach folks that have been established, and, and, and them having to hear the foundations again, but I appreciate you letting me know that it has been a blessing to you, and I hope that it continues to. 1 Peter chapter 2, 
and verse number 2. Peter gives instructions here. He says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Now, you know the Apostle Paul, in his writings to the church at Corinth, he delineates between milk and meat in the scripture. And he lets us know that milk is that part that goes to the newborns. And meat belongs to those that are of full age, he says. And so they, the meat of the word would go to the mature. But, but Peter is here writing and he said, you know, every one of us at some point need to go back to that state where we just would really like to have some of that milk again. And Peter said, if you'll do that, you're going to be surprised at how much it's going to help you to grow. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 20, a verse that seems to be uh, not really connected with this verse, but maybe we'll get to it today and show you where the connection is. But this is a part of what God expects out of His people. And, and you know, this is a great misconception in, in the church world today, in Christianity today. People feeling like, well, once I've believed or once I've accepted or once I'm quote-unquote saved, that's all there is to it. And I submit to you if that's all there is to it, why, why do we have the epistles? Why are there so many more books in the New Testament that are written to people already saved? If the moment you're saved, it's forever settled and you don't have to worry about anything anymore. That doesn't even make sense to me. But there's a reason why the epistles are written. It's because, all right, God saved you. Now you owe Him something. He bought you. And because He bought you, you belong to Him. You don't get to make the decisions of your life anymore. He makes those decisions. Now that's the way we ought to see it. That He gives us the opportunity to obey or disobey. Anyhow, 1 Corinthians chapter... I'm never going to get done at this rate if I can't even get through my text. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 20, the Apostle Paul said, For you are bought with a price. Therefore. Therefore. What have I taught you about the word therefore? When you see it, you find out what it's there for, right? Therefore. Or because of what I just said. That's what therefore means. Because of what I just said, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So Paul said you need to glorify God outwardly and inwardly. 
Why? Because he bought you. He bought your body. He bought your spirit. They're not yours. They're his. And therefore, he's the one that ought to get the glory. Out of what you do, what you say, where you go, how you live, how you look, how you act, how you treat others. God ought to get the glory out of all of that. So we are continuing on in our series. The series is entitled Living in Truth. This is lesson one, part four. We are calling this lesson Your New Life. Your New Life. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's ask the Lord to help us today. We need the touch of the Holy Ghost. Let's, let's pray for His guidance and His anointing here today. Would you do that, Lord? Praise you in Jesus' name. Let's worship the Lord together one more time before we're seated. Let's worship Him. Let's worship Him. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, as has been the case each week, um, I, I've got to start out with uh, a little... Uh, review. I need to take some time uh, for those who have not heard the first three parts to this lesson. And I would encourage you, I would encourage you to go to our website. I don't, obviously I don't have time to reteach three lessons. And uh, so I would encourage you to go to our website, olaythetruth.com slash media. OlayTheTruth.com slash media. And there you can find the messages, the recent messages. And uh, there's even a search engine. You can search for the series, search for the lessons. Uh, but go back and listen to parts one, two, and three if you have not heard them. Because what I want to cover today is, is based on the principles we've laid out in three weeks. Like I said, I don't have time to reteach all three weeks' worth, but I will try to do a brief review. We began talking about a natural birth, and you know, when, when a baby's born, if we could really stop and think about the experience of human birth, um, if, if somehow, and we know babies don't have cognizance, they, they, they're not fully aware, they don't understand as we do. But if somehow that, that newborn had understanding, can you imagine what birth would be like from his perspective? Can you imagine the things that would be going through that baby's mind at the moment of birth? 
And uh, I know, again, they've, they've changed things, but I'm old enough to remember when the first thing that happened to a newborn was he got a swat on the backside. And uh, uh, today doctors would probably be put in handcuffs and hauled out to jail. I don't know. Um, but, but they did that for a reason. And it was to force that child to catch its breath and begin to breathe. And, and then, you know, here the doctor swats the child and mom and dad are standing around. They're, they're smiling and happy and hugging each other. And, you know, if you could see it from the baby's perspective, he's probably wondering, what, what's so joyous about me getting swatted? Why is everyone so happy about me crying right now? And, and trying to figure out the bright lights and, and all the noises and the sounds and the things that he's never seen. And, and there's a reason that, that I talk about all this. Jesus, in talking to Nicodemus, explained salvation through the analogy of birth. And Jesus said, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. And, you know, again, I, I, I don't have time to reteach all this, but... But let me, let me just say to you, John chapter 3, most people only know one verse of John chapter 3. For, for, for most people that call themselves Christians, they don't even know that there's anything else in John 3 besides verse 16. But verse 16 is, is in the middle of a lengthy conversation. And there's no way that you really understand verse 16 if you haven't read the rest of the conversation. Now, it sounds simple enough. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? That sounds simple enough. But the problem is, what did He mean by believing in Him? That's what people misunderstand who have not read the entire conversation. See, this conversation began with, except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, you can't discount that, skip over that, and jump immediately to verse 16. When he uses the word believe, it's got to refer back to verse 3. Whatever believing means, it's got to be connected to the new birth. Because Jesus said you can't even see God's kingdom if you're not born again. So someone is not born again, but they believe. And I can show you in Scripture where that was the case for people. They believed, but they were not born again. I can show you that. And Nicodemus, of course, didn't understand what it meant. What, what do you mean when you say born again? Nicodemus had only heard of one kind of birth, and that was a natural birth. And so he said, how, how do you go about this being born again? You can't get back in your mother's womb. What do you mean? And so Jesus explained it in verse 5. 
So again, you can't, you cannot understand John 3.16 if you don't know John 3.5. Because John 3.5 explains John 3 and 3, which opened this conversation. Are you with me? So before you ever get to this point about believing, you got to start here at new birth. And Nicodemus said, well, what do you mean by new birth? And Jesus said, unless a man is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus made a very exclusive statement right there. You will not get into God's kingdom if you're not born of water and born of the spirit. It cannot happen. So you can't just skip down to verse 16 and say that's all there is. Because Jesus already said that without a birth of water and a birth of the Spirit, you can't enter. He's not going to contradict himself 11 verses later. He's not going to change his mind 11 verses later. Right? So believing can only be fully accomplished. In fact, the very word believe, this is what some people don't understand. The very word believe, um, it comes from a Greek word that doesn't just mean you've got a mental acceptance. But it means to believe it to the point of obedience. If you don't obey it, you don't really believe it. Hallelujah. You know, the old story, I've, I've told it through the years. Uh, but again, this is a newcomer's class. And so for the newcomers who have not heard it, uh, the story is told about a man years ago who had strung uh, a tight wire across Niagara Falls. And he had, he had amazed onlookers standing on either side there of the falls. And he had a wheelbarrow. And uh, he was going to show them that he had such perfect balance that he would push the wheelbarrow across this tightrope without falling. And he did. Did it perfectly. Never bobbled. He was just perfect in his balance. Got the wheelbarrow to the other side of the falls. And the crowd just erupted with applause. And he said, now for my next act, I'm going to put a man in this wheelbarrow and push him across the tightrope. And the people gasped. And he said, how many of you believe I can do it? And hands shot up everywhere. They'd watched what he'd done the first time. Hands shot up everywhere. He said, okay, who will volunteer? You see, saying that you believe it and being willing to get in are two different things. And the problem is there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians. They say they believe, but they're not willing to get in. So just believing is not what Jesus is talking about. Belief here has to be connected to the new birth process, which is being born of water and born of the Spirit. In fact, this is off my notes. Who knows what we'll get done today. Go over to John chapter 7 for me, would you? Um, 
John chapter 7. This is not in the notes. Uh, is that Sister Jasmine back there today? All right, Sister Jasmine, I'm throwing a curveball here. Uh, John chapter 7. Now remember, this is talking about believing, right? John 3.16, Jesus said, believe. So, well, before we hold that one, put a marker there, would you? Yeah, thank you. So, so let's, let's, let's hold that. Go now to Mark 16. Let's, let's, let's go over to Mark 16 because Jesus is talking about believing. Is everybody with me? John 3.16, Jesus said, if you'll believe, right? And I'm telling you that that believing's got to be connected to being born of water and born of the Spirit. So let's find the words of Jesus himself. Go over to Mark chapter 16. And, um, and, and what does verse 16 say? He that believeth. Now, now, here's the word believe, and this is the same speaker. This is Jesus talking. And Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized and... That's an important word. The word and does not mean or. I often use... This illustration, when I'm teaching my seminars in Africa, I get to explaining Mark 16 and 16, and I'll use this illustration. I tell them that if I promised to feed all of the men that are here at this seminar today, take you to a very nice restaurant and feed you a very expensive meal, but the requirements are that you must have on a coat and tie. Only those wearing a coat and tie can enter. That word and means something. And usually in the crowd, I can find somebody there who has on a very nice coat, but no tie. And I'll stand him up in front of the crowd and say, okay, this is a beautiful coat this man has on. But does he get to go eat with us? The answer is no. Why? He's got on a nice coat. But you said coat and tie. So I say, so you're telling me he can't go. In spite of the coat, he can't go because he does not have on a tie. Oh, that's correct. Okay. So I have him be seated. And then I'll find someone else in the crowd who has on a tie but no coat. So I'll stand him up and say, can this man go eat? No. Well, why? You wouldn't let the first man go because there was no tie. This man has a tie. Why can't he go? Because he has no coat. So when I say coat and tie, you don't get to choose which one. And Jesus said, he that believeth. What? And. He that believeth what? And. He that believeth what? And is baptized shall be saved. You don't get to choose. You can't say, well, I've believed, I just haven't been baptized. Doesn't work that way. He that believeth. 
In fact, they usually love it when I get to this point because normally I will, I will ask them to tell me in their native tongue how to say the word and. And so then I'll stress that word in their native tongue over and over and over and over until usually they're laughing, but they get the point. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So if you get there and all you've done is believe, but you have not been baptized, are you saved? No. Jesus said that. See, this has got to go back to John 3 and 5. You've got to be born of water. And Jesus said that the new birth involves not only being born of water, but being born of the Spirit. So let's see if we can find him tying the word believe into the Spirit. Now let's go back to where we were. John chapter 7, and uh, none of this is in my notes. Uh, verse 30, let's start with 38. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said. Yeah, so here we go. He that believeth. There's Jesus speaking again. And he's talking about believing. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said. Out of his belly. Not just any way you want to believe, but if you believe the way the Scriptures tell you to believe, then out of your belly shall flow shall rivers, flow rivers of, living water. of living water. Verse 39. But this spake, this spake he, of the, he of the Spirit, which they that believed which on, they him, that believe should on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So here Jesus connects believing with receiving the Holy Ghost. Right. Isn't this simple? Yes, sir. John 3 and 5, you've got to be born of water. You've got to be born of the Spirit. We get to verse 16, he says you've got to believe. But he tells us in other places that it's not believing alone. It's believing and being baptized. It's believing and receiving the Holy Ghost. That's the new birth. Until you have believed, yes, but also been baptized the way the scriptures say. And again, please go back and listen. I don't have time to reteach this, but I will just throw this in. Um, there is not one verse of scripture anywhere that anybody was ever baptized saying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. It doesn't appear in the Bible. Everywhere that they were ever baptized, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, here I am getting into all this. and Go over to Matthew 28, 19. Because that's what I always get asked. Well, what about Matthew 28, 19? As though I've never read that verse of Scripture before. I teach these seminars all over the world. And they think I've never seen Matthew 28, 19 before. So a lot of times I'll start there. I just, I just throw it in before they have a chance to ask. Matthew 28, 19 is a wonderful proof of what I'm telling you. Because, you see, one of the rules of Bible interpretation is let Scripture interpret Scripture. Another rule of Bible interpretation is out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So any, any scripture you want to use to establish a doctrine, you've got to have at least one other scripture that matches it. 
doesn't mean the one you've got's wrong. It means you're not interpreting it, interpreting it properly. All right? So what does Matthew 28, 19 say? Go ye therefore. Oh, there's that word again. Go ye what? Therefore. All right, now we need to back up. So when you see the word therefore, you have to see what it is therefore. It means because of what I just said. What did he just say? Back up to verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power is given unto. Now, who's speaking? And how much power does he have? Jesus said, All power is mine in heaven and earth. It's all mine. Verse 19, go ye therefore, go ye therefore, because of what I just said. What did he just say? He just said, I'm the one that has all the power. So because I'm the one that has all the power, go therefore and teach all, teach nations, all nations baptize, and baptize them, them in the name. In the name. Of the Father. Of the Father. And of, and the, of Son, the Son. And of the Holy Ghost. Now let me ask you, how much sense does it make? For Jesus to say in verse 18, I have all power. And because I have all power, go baptize in my name and two other names. That makes no sense. None. In fact, if you look at this verse, he didn't say baptizing them in the names. And believe me, I've taught this all over the world, and I've had them read it to me in their own languages. I've looked at it in the original Greek, and I can't yet find anywhere where the word name is plural. It's singular in every case. There is only one name. Well, I didn't intend to get into all this, but I'm here. This is basics, right? So, so baptizing them in the name of the Father. Now, I don't want to get too complicated. This is what they call in the Greek the genitive case. That means it shows possession. So this is not in the name Father as though Father were a name. This is in the name which belongs to the Father. See, I am a Father. That's what I am. But that's not who I am. My name identifies who I am. In fact, again, in the seminars, I'll go and ask a man, are you a father? He says, yes. So I'll stick out my hand to shake his hand and say, hello, brother, father. He says, no, 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 no. That, that's not my name. Well, you just told me you're a father. Yes, but that's not my name. So then I'll say, well, are you a son? Now, you know, in Africa, they don't have a problem figuring out if they're a son or a daughter. In America, we've got folks that can't quite figure that out. Um, they don't seem to have that problem over there, thank God. And I commend them for it. I'll tell you what, some of their... Some of their presidents uh, and leaders, prime ministers, 
have come under great pressure from other world powers to accept the abomination of homosexuality, and they have refused. And thank God for it. Thank God they've refused it. They are to be commended for standing their ground. But anyhow, so I'll ask him, are you a son? And he said, yes. Okay. Hello, brother son. It's nice to meet you. No, 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 no. I am a son, but that's not my name. So I'm here to tell you, father is not a name. Son is not a name. Holy Ghost is not a name. These are descriptive titles. In fact, they are really terms of relationship. Let me explain that to you. Now, I am a father. I am a husband. And I am a pastor. None of those provides my name. But each of those identifies a relationship that I hold. Right? When I go home, I don't say to my wife, your pastor would like something to drink. And maybe we need to put this in the M&M class. But if any of you ever get an idea to try to do that, uh, please write out your funeral plans ahead of time so I'll know what to say when you're gone. I don't say to my wife, your pastor would like something to drink. I don't say to my children, your husband wants to talk to you. And I don't stand before the church and say, your father is preaching to you. You see, each of those terms describes a specific relationship that I hold with a particular individual or group of individuals. Now, if, if someone wants to honor me, they might say, he is a great example of a father, a son, and a husband. Or a father, a pastor, and a husband. And they might use all three titles in one sentence. But they're not saying I'm three different people. They're describing each of the relationships I hold. So when you read this sentence, baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, don't see that as three different persons. That's three different relationships. So we have to find out what the name of the Father is. John chapter 5 verse 43, you ready to... This is sword drill time now, Brother Goff. At least I'm not having you read the genealogies. Yeah, we're not going to do any jots and tittles today, so no genealogies right now. Although there are so many more jots and tittles. I, I may end up having to make a whole series out of that at some point. There's so many things I want to come back and show you that I've found. It's just, it's unbelievable. John 5.43 says what? I am come in my Father's now, name. who's speaking here? And he said, I came in my father's name. So then his name must be the same name as the father's name. 
And if his name is Jesus, what's the Father's name? That's really simple. So the name of the Father is Jesus. How about Matthew 1.21? I hope my old brain doesn't fog up on me because I'm having to do all this from memory right now. Matthew 1.21. Yeah, that, that comes before Matthew 2. Right after Malachi. Trying to help you here. All right, Matthew 1.21. And she shall bring forth a she son. She shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt, and call, thou shalt call his name Jesus. His name Jesus. So the name of the son is Jesus. Are we seeing a pattern here? Let's go to John 14, verse 26. John 14 and verse 26. Yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts, Romans. John 14, 26. But the Comforter, but which, the comforter is, the Holy which Ghost, is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father whom the will, Father send, in will my send in what name? My name. What name? So who's speaking here? Jesus. Jesus. So what name did the Holy Ghost come in? Jesus. So the name of the Father is? Jesus. And the name of the Son is? Jesus. And the name of the Holy Ghost is? Jesus. So if you baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, you baptize in the name of Jesus. See, Jesus didn't say in Matthew 28, 19, repeat after me. There's a difference between repetition and obedience. If I say to Brother Goff, go stand at the back door. And then he just looks at you and says, go stand at the back door. Did he obey me? All he did was repeat what I said. Jesus didn't say repeat these words. He said baptize them in the name. Now, if repeating his words is the proper interpretation, then you should be able to find a second witness for that. Can I tell you, I've challenged, I've challenged pastors, I've challenged Men who had doctorates in theology to find one witness outside Matthew 28, 19 where anyone ever repeated those words in baptism. Nobody can find it because it doesn't exist. There is not a second witness. That does not mean Matthew 28, 19 is wrong. It means you're interpreting it wrong. I tell you that the proper interpretation is to baptize in the name of Jesus. Can I get a second witness for that? Oh, yes. And a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and a seventh. Literally. I know my mind's not going to allow me to go through all of these. But we might as well start while we're on the subject. So let's go over to Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Let's see if I can find any witnesses here. Acts chapter 2. And verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now wait, be baptized how? In the name of Jesus Christ. He didn't say Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, did he? He, did not. he said in the name of Jesus Christ. So there's one witness. Caleb, can you count for me? You can count? 
How many fingers, how many witnesses have I given so far? Thank you. All right. So remember that. Don't forget that. All right. So now we're going to go over to Acts chapter 8. And let's go to Acts chapter 8 and verse 16. For as yet he was fallen upon none, upon none of them, uh -huh. only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. All right, how were they baptized? In the name of the Lord Jesus. So how many witnesses do we have now? That's two. Look, all the scripture requires is two witnesses. I can stop right there and say I've proved my case. You do not have two witnesses for repeating Jesus' words. But I've shown you two witnesses for obeying his words and baptizing in his name. That's all we need. But I'm not done. Let's go to Acts chapter 10 and verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they prayed there, him tarry certain day. He commanded them to be baptized how? In the name of the Lord. Not Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So who is our Lord? Jesus, uh, uh, Paul said, to us there is but one Lord. What's his name? So how did they get baptized? In the name of Jesus. So how many witnesses we got now? Hold it up where everybody can see there, Caleb. We got three witnesses. That's one more than what's required. But I'm not done. Let's go to Acts chapter 19. Acts 19. Let's go to verse 5. When they had heard this, they when were they baptized. Heard this. Now, now, let me just, we really ought to back up. Just, just so you'll know, if you'll look at this chapter, these people had already been baptized once. They'd been baptized by John the Baptist. So they'd already been baptized once. But when they heard Paul preaching, what happened? They were baptized, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the Jesus. name of the Lord Jesus. They got baptized again. So even though they'd been baptized once, it wasn't done the way Jesus said it had to be done. So I'm telling you, even if you've been baptized, if it was repeating his words, it wasn't done in obedience to his command. You need to get baptized again. It needs to be in the name of Jesus. So how many witnesses do we have now? Four. And that's Acts chapter 19. Now let's go over to Acts chapter 22. And in Acts chapter 22... Verse 16. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so when Paul gives his testimony, he said Ananias told him to arise and be baptized, washing away his sins and calling on the name of the Lord. So how did Paul get baptized? In the name of Jesus. How many witnesses we have now? We're at five witnesses. There are not two witnesses for repeating Jesus' words. We only have to have two. Three really solidifies the case, but I've given you five. 
How about 1 Corinthians chapter 1? And verse number 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? Now I want you to look at something. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified? Well, the answer is no. The answer to all three of these questions is no. But I want you to think about what Paul's saying here. Was Paul crucified? No. Who was crucified? Jesus was the one who was crucified. Right? So he's the one that was crucified. He said, was Paul crucified? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Evidently, they got baptized in the name of the one who was crucified. Now, you're not going to tell me the Father was crucified. The Father is a spirit. Are you going to tell me the Holy Ghost got crucified? They were baptized in the name of the one who was crucified. What's his name? His name is Jesus. Well, praise God. I'm telling you, and, and then we can add to that. There, we, we can go on. There are other scriptures. The Bible said, whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not, not Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You know, I, I tell those men when I'm teaching those seminars, I'll ask them questions. I'll ask them, look, do you believe in, in praying for the sick? Yes. When you pray for the sick, do you lay hands on them and say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? They look at me like I'm crazy. No. So well, how do you pray for them? We say in the name of Jesus. I say, why do you say in the name of Jesus? Well, because there's power in that name. Well, that's a good answer. So, so do you believe that you can pray prayers and God will answer your prayers? Oh, yes. Well, when you close your prayer, do you say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen? No. What do you say? We say in the name of Jesus. Why? Because there's power in that name. So do you believe in casting out devils? Oh, yes. When you cast out devils, do you say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, come out? They tell me no. I said, how do you cast out devils? We do it in the name of Jesus. Why do you use the name of Jesus? Because there's power in that name. So you pray in the name of Jesus. You heal the sick in the name of Jesus. You cast out devils in the name of Jesus. But when you take them to the water, you don't want to use the name of Jesus. But Paul said, whatever you do, do it all. And then in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul also said that that is the name whereby the entire family in heaven and earth is named. 
And then I can take you to Acts 4 and 12. That neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And then I can take you to Philippians chapter 2. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That name is above every name. Why wouldn't we baptize in that name? Well, you know, I, I often, I didn't mean to spend this whole lesson on water baptism. I hadn't even gotten to the new part of my notes. Um, again, I don't apologize. I, 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 Oftentimes we'll tell them in my seminar, my wife and I have been married for many years. This year will mark 43 years that we've been married. It's a long time. In fact, I was telling her the other day, I said, you know, I have, I have spent twice as long being married to you, more than twice as long being married to you um, than what I spent living without you. I was 20 when we got married, and I've now been married 43 years come August. So I've spent more than two times as many years being married as I did being single. And um, I love my wife dearly, and I think everyone who knows me knows that. She is my very best friend in all the world. And yet, I want you to know that when I asked her to marry me some 43 years ago, had she said to me, I'll marry you, but I'm going to retain my maiden name, as much as I loved her, I know, this, I know this is not woke. That is the craziest term, I'm telling you. Because they're the ones that are asleep. They're dreaming. Uh, we're the ones that are awake. Well, some of us are. Some of you... Struggling with that a little bit right now, but but um, um, anyhow, I was saying this is not woke philosophy. But had she said to me, "I'm going to retain my maiden name and I'm not taking on your name," I would have said, "Then I'm very sorry because I love you very much, but we're not being." If you're not willing to take my name, then I really wonder how much you really love me. Are you ashamed of me? Why would you not want my name? Do you understand that we are called the bride of Christ? Can I ask you, at what point does the bride 
assume the name of the groom. We become his bride. We have to take on his name somewhere. That happens in the waters of baptism. We take on the name of our bridegroom when we are baptized. So if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you're not his bride. Now again, I, I, I don't, I, I'm trying to get off of this subject and I can't. Um, but I, I, can, I can take, I can show you when Abraham sent his servant to find a bride for his son. Where was the bride found? It was at the well, wasn't it? She was given a water test. Had she not passed the water test, she would never have become the bride of Isaac. Well, Now, you know, it's amazing to me because so many people love to talk about Abraham and Isaac and the symbolism of the father and the son. But boy, the symbolism seems to break down in their mind when you talk about the son's bride had to pass the water test. They don't like that part of the symbolism. But it's true. In fact, in fact, Jesus help me. I, I got to get I gotta get to my notes somehow. I don't I don't have time to get to my notes. <laughs> we might as well just stay on where we're at here. Um let's go to the book of Genesis. Now look, even though I haven't gotten to my notes, you cannot accuse me of not using the scripture. You can accuse me of not following my notes, but you cannot accuse me of not using Scripture. Well, I mean, you can, but you'd be wrong. Um, let's go to Genesis. And let's, let's go to chapter 2. And um, you know that the Apostle Paul refers to Jesus as the last Adam. How many of you know that? Paul, in his, in his writings, calls Jesus the last Adam. So what Paul is saying is there's a symbolism. Adam was created as the perfect man. Now, unfortunately, Adam broke that symbol and had to pay for it dearly. And we're still paying for it. Although, I was talking to a man last night, and he said, you know, we got the, he said, I, I'm glad that that's the part of the curse we got. All right, let's think, church, let's think, let's think. What part of the curse did the women get? Childbirth. If men had gotten that curse, we wouldn't be here today. After the first one, there had never been another child. And so the preacher told me, he said, I'm glad this is the curse we got. I'd rather go out and work hard 
work by the sweat of my brow, die in a ripe old age, than to go through what women have to go through. I'd rather, I'd take our curse over theirs. Uh, although, he, he did also tell me, he said he, he heard one man saying, you know, women, women think that childbirth is the worst thing and said we, we try to tell them that having kidney stones is, is worse than childbirth. And they, they said, no, no way. He said, I can prove it. He said, I've had kidney stones. My wife's had a baby. He said, about 15 months after having her baby, she said, let's have another one. She said, I can tell you, it's been years since I had kidney stones. I don't want any more. So that's just food for thought this morning. This is why I can't get anything done. I... All right, we're, we're Jesus is the last Adam. Let's let's go to Genesis chapter two and let's start reading with verse number twenty-one. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to call fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took of it one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And All right, now. Here's what I want you to see. The Lord caused a deep what? Sleep. So everyone say Adam was, asleep. Adam was asleep. Now, God opened Adam's side. Right? He opened his side. And he took a rib. And he closed up the flesh thereof. And verse 22... And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man. And what God took from Adam's side. Made he a woman. God turned into Adam's bride. And brought her unto the man. Right? Is everybody with me? God, while Adam was asleep, Adam's side was opened. What came out of Adam's side is what made up Adam's bride. Does everybody agree with that? Yes, sir. Everybody agrees. All right, so now let's look at the last Adam. Let's go to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And let's start with verse 34. In fact, I think that's all we're going to need is verse 34. One of the soldiers with a spear. So, so John, John 19. Now, I tell you what, back up. First of all, I'm sorry, Sister Jasmine. I'm really making you work overtime today. And she has been working overtime. I, I just found out she's been getting assignment after assignment after assignment this week from the church. Things we've wanted her to do. And she has just joyfully done it all. And even got her to show up early this morning and do some things here. And. So we're, we're really working her overtime. Uh, we do appreciate it, Sister Jasmine. We really do. So, so let's, let's go back up to verse 30. This is John 19, verse 30. Let's start there because I want to show you something. When Jesus, therefore, because it was the preparation. No, no, no. This is John 19, verse 30. When Jesus, there had, therefore, had finished the vinegar, he said, It is finished. He, he said, out. it is finished. 
And he bowed he his bowed head. his head. And gave up the ghost. And he gave up the ghost. Now, how does Paul refer to those that die? Does anyone know? He says they're asleep, right? When Paul talks about the dead, he, he says they're asleep. And even throughout the Old Testament, it would talk about that he slept with his fathers. So here Jesus, the, the last Adam, has died. So we can say he went to sleep. In fact, it's probably more appropriate for Jesus than for anybody else. Because three days later, he's waking up. So Jesus went to sleep in verse 30. He's already dead. He is already dead. And so you can read on down. Uh, it's getting close to the, to the Sabbath day. The Jews are anxious about getting these bodies off the cross. They can't work. Once sundown hits, it's the beginning of their Sabbath. They've got to get these bodies off the cross. The Romans understood that. The Romans would accommodate it because... Crucifixion was a very, very slow and agonizing death. And I've talked about it many times. The only way that someone who's crucified was able to survive was by pushing against the nails in their feet. They were hanging at such an angle that it was cutting off the oxygen. They couldn't breathe. And so the only way they were able to get a breath was to push against the nail driven through their feet. Now think about this. How painful that would be. But they would push against the nail driven through their feet to raise themselves up enough to catch a breath. And then they would collapse again. But they would go through this because they're fighting to stay alive. But because it was getting close to the Sabbath, the Romans understood this and they didn't want to create a big revolt among the Jews and so they had a process that if they wanted to hurry it up they would go through and break the legs of those that were hanging on a cross by breaking the legs they were no longer able to push against the nails they were no longer able to get air and therefore they were no longer able to breathe and they would die quickly and so the other soldiers, or the other uh, men that were being crucified, now they had not been beaten like Jesus had been beaten. They had not suffered the same kind of agony he had been, he, he had been through. So they're still fighting for their lives. Jesus was barely hanging on. He died before the other two. And the soldiers are coming up, they're breaking the legs of the other two. But when they came to Jesus, and you see it had been prophesied that not a bone of his body would be broken. So when they came to Jesus, they realized there's no need to break his legs. Because he's already dead. But the soldier standing by said, we're not taking any chances. See, let me tell you something. And I, I'm, I'm way off the subject here. But if anybody ever tells you that the resurrection is not true, that Jesus just 
you know, he just fainted, he just passed out. And when they got him off the cross and put him in that cool grave that he resuscitated, look, they don't understand Roman crucifixions. The Romans knew what they were doing when they crucified people. And they didn't take any chances. And they didn't take a chance with Jesus. And that's proven when we get down to the verse that we're about to read. So they did not break Jesus' legs in fulfillment of prophecy. They didn't know they were fulfilling prophecy, but they were. They did not break his legs, but I'll tell you what they did do. Verse 34. But one of the soldiers one of the with a soldiers spear pierced with his a side. Spear pierced his side. Why is he piercing his side? Why is he not piercing the side of the other? He's piercing the side of Jesus because it appears that Jesus is already dead. But he wants to be sure. He wants to be 100% positive that Jesus is dead. And so they had a procedure. They knew how to do this. To take the spear and to put it between two ribs and pierce the heart. And that way they made sure when they pierced the heart, if he wasn't dead already, he was dead then. And John gives testimony to the fact that he was dead when he says, Forthwith came there out blood and water. He's talking about the sack of fluid that protects the heart. And only in the penetrating of that sack do you get fluid coming out. But here's what's interesting. By fulfilling the prophecy of not breaking his legs, something else happened. A type and shadow. By piercing his heart, it wasn't just blood that came out. But forthwith came there out blood and water. Now how was the bride of the first Adam made? She was made from what came out of the side of the first Adam. How is the bride of the last Adam going to be made? It's made from what comes out of the side of the last Adam. And what came out of his side? Not just blood. But blood and water. Water is an important part of this process. You've got to be born of water and of the Spirit. It takes the water, the spirit, and the blood. Get for me First John 5 and 8. We talked about this. We talked about this in our podcast last Sunday night. But for those who didn't hear it, we might as well throw it in again. First John 5. Well, let's just read verses 7 and 8. First John comes right before 2 John. And there are three that bear witness in earth. Yeah. Uh, we were going to start with verse 7. Let's start with verse 7. 
For there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the, Father, the, Word, the Word, and the Holy, the Holy Ghost. Ghost. And, and these, these three, three are one. Not these three agree in one. He did not say they agree in one. He said they are one. There's a difference between agreeing in one and being one. And he shows that difference when he gets to the next verse. Verse 8 says, And there are three, there are that, three bear witness that bear in witness earth, in earth. And the, the, spirit, the Spirit, the water, the water and, the, and blood. the blood. And these three, agree in not one. are one, but agree in one. The Father, Word, and the Holy Ghost are one. But the, but the blood, the Spirit, and the water agree in one. How do they agree in one? They agree in one when you repent of your sins. You're baptized in Jesus' name. You receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Those three things are required to bring you into this condition called the new birth. That's how you get saved. That's what real believing requires. That's when you get in the wheelbarrow. Hallelujah. That's how you get involved in this process. It takes the spirit and the water and the blood. It takes repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Well, praise God. I don't have time to go on. Sister Riggin, come. I did not even make it to today's notes We'll pick up, Lord willing, next Sunday on uh, what was supposed to be today's notes. I don't know if we need to call this part 3B. I don't know how to delineate all this. It doesn't matter to me. Praise God. I don't care. I love talking about this beautiful message. I love this message. And you ought to love this message. You ought to love this message. The Apostle Paul said, because they received not a love of the truth, that God himself would send a strong delusion, that they all might believe a lie and be damned. you got to love it. It's more than just knowing it. It's even more than just obeying it. you got to love it. And I tell you, I'm far from perfect, but one thing I do think, that I know about myself, that is, I love this truth. Amen. I am 100% sold out to this truth. Hallelujah. I, I see it from cover to cover in the Word of God. Everywhere I turn, I see it again. I love this message, and I love sharing it with others. Let's stand and lift our hands. Let's thank the Lord together, everyone. Praise God. Come on, let's love Him. Let's love Him. Let's love Him. God. Come on, let's talk to the Lord. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. You are wonderful, Master. You're wonderful, Master. 
before I open the altar, let, let, me, let me just say a couple of things. One, again, I want to encourage you to go back. If you haven't heard the previous lessons, go back and listen. Go to our website and listen. Or if you'd like, you can ask one of us and we'll get you a CD. We'll, we'll burn a CD. We'll find a blank CD and make you a CD or a thumb drive or something. Uh, to get these lessons to you, I would encourage you to go back and listen to parts one and two. Second thing is, if I've said things today that you don't really understand fully, please give me the chance to sit down and explain it to you. Let me take you deeper in the Word of God and show you even more why this is true. It may not be what the majority thinks, but God doesn't run His kingdom based on democratic principles. In other words, God doesn't take a vote and whatever the majority thinks, that's what's right. No. Paul said, let God be true and every man a liar. If God's the only one voting this way, it's still true. And so whatever His Word says, that is true. Back John 17, 17, Jesus said, Thy word is true. And so give me the chance, give me the opportunity to just sit down and talk to you. I, I won't argue with you. I hate arguments. But I love discussions. And as a teacher, I love questions. I'm not going to be offended by your questions. Give me the chance to sit down with you and answer your questions from the Word of God. If I'm wrong, I'll be glad to admit I was wrong. And I hope you'll do the same. I actually had a man in one of my seminars tell me one time, I know what you're telling me is what the Bible says. But that's not our tradition. And I'm going to stay with our tradition. Nowhere I can go from there. Not a thing I can do about that. But it's not my job to make people accept it. It's only my job to tell them the truth. What they do with that truth is between them and God. Just give me the chance. I'll do it patiently, lovingly, and I'll listen. But I promise you, I can back it all up. As I've done today, but I can do it even more thoroughly throughout the word of the Lord. Why don't we come gather around the front this morning? Let's just let's take just a few moments here before I have to close out and try to catch my plane. But let's let's gather around. Let's spend a few moments just thanking God for truth. If you're here without the Holy Ghost, why don't you let God fill you today? If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, why don't you why don't you make up your mind? I want to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, let's talk to him right now. Let's talk to him right now.